and welcome to Landscape Photography World, the podcast for everyone passionate about landscape photography. I'm Grant Swinburne and I'll be your host on the show talking to landscape photographers about their motivations, likes and dislikes. This podcast is sponsored by Syncback Pro, the professional photographer's tool to keep your images safe. How safe are your photographs? Or to put it this way, how would you feel if you permanently lost some or even all of them? The fact is, there are very real risks in storing your digital images on a hard drive, even if they're backed up to an external device. There's ransomware, hardware failure, file corruption, virus infection, and even accidental deletion or destruction. Syncback Pro makes this problem go away permanently. Syncback Pro is the professional photographer's tool to back up photographs, images, documents, and data files. Once set up, it keeps your files safe, quietly and reliably in the background. So if problems occur or disaster strikes, you'll have nothing to worry about. Your photographs will be safe. Which is why it's also the backup solution that I use myself for my own photographs. Take advantage of an exclusive 25% discount today by going to www.backup.sg. The software will never expire, meaning your photographs are safe forever. That's www.backup.sg. Give your photographs the protection they deserve. And now, on with the show. David Fares is a photographer, filmmaker, painter, illustrator and digital artist working and living in the Illawarra region south of Sydney. Obsessed with the ocean, documenting the beauty of nature, David believes creators hold more value than our system holds true. Growing up on Sydney's northern beaches and being a keen surfer, The sea and water have always been close to his heart, and this shows strongly in his art, with his main focus recently being on aerial surf and abstract wave shots. Formerly a creative director for a marketing agency, David has used many of the skills he learned in that field in making the decision to make art full-time. He uses creative visualisation techniques such as storyboarding, etc., to shape his creative vision and drive his business forward. We discuss his encounter with the sea monster, how he uses his business skills to create art, his involvement in the NFT space, along with a lot more. I hope you enjoy the show. G'day, Dave. Welcome to the Landscape Photography World. How are you going? I'm going well, thanks, Grant. Thanks for having me. Ah, Absolute pleasure. Pleased you're uh, on the show. Uh, We've met once or twice and uh, had had a bit of a shoot. Why don't you tell people who you are and why you are? (laughs) <laughs> no worries. Uh, name's David Fares. Um, I am, I guess, a creative of many different mediums, but we're here to talk photography. So um, I'll focus on that today. But I do a lot of different things, um, video work. I'm a painter, illustrator, graphic designer by trade, uh, and um, found my way into photography through my graphic design career. Okay. Um, I love all things ocean and landscape. As you know, we've met up shooting the ocean together and uh, the rock pools and by the sea that's definitely a huge part of uh, what I do with photography um and yeah I can talk to you a little bit about that I guess and, and how that came to be yeah no that'd be great uh I'm really interested in people's why why do they why did they get started why do they keep doing it why do they do things the way they do it so why, why don't we start with how you got started and what uh, what got you into landscape photography and uh, ocean photography and, and droning and so forth? 
Absolutely, yeah. So, uh, yeah, as you know, aerial photography is a massive part of, of what I do and what I love. Um, and I guess take it back to the start, um, I was working as a creative director mm -hmm. for many years. I climbed my way up um, bit by bit to get to that level. It was it was huge on my uh, list of goals to achieve. And um, well, this was with a advertising agency or a... Yeah, media companies mostly. Media um, yep. I did end up in an agency doing branded content, um, and yep. that's where I became. I, I moved up from art director to creative director. So sure. big proud moment for me. Very very happy with that. And um, and once I got there, it was funny. I realised that it wasn't the all satisfying, <laughs> uh, fulfilling role that I'd envisioned. Um, climbing the ladder has has its costs and <laughs> yeah I I kind of ticked it off and then realized that it wasn't it wasn't for me <laughs> interestingly um but like I said it wasn't negative it was all positive but then I just just found myself looking for other things in that position and so I was doing um videography on the side actually at, at the time um I'd been fortunate enough to be exposed to some real talent in the industry and I found myself on shoots directing really obsessed with the gear and really obsessed with how the guys who knew their stuff could get the results they were getting for me you know I would just tell them what I wanted and they could shape a set to look like anything and it was just really really interesting to me you know it wasn't so much the um the role that I was playing at the time that was enjoyable, it was more being exposed to the cameras and the guys who knew how to control them. Okay. And little did they know, I was taking notes every shoot and uh, obsessing over the, the stuff that probably was mundane to them at the time. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, taking notes, going home and playing with settings and getting on YouTube. And I just became a camera nerd at that point. Okay. Um, in secret, <laughs> kind of. Um, my boss, I didn't want my boss to know that I was really pushing uh, that side of things on my weekends. I was basically getting paid clients um, on the fly and just learning as I went um, and, you know, keeping everyone happy, delivering good quality content through the skills that I kind of picked up on the side. But I was very new when I started out on my own. Um, yeah. Didn't assist. I didn't... Uh, take on a junior position or anything like that I just started a company and went for it um, which yeah, was right. terrifying but it really accelerated my learning um, I made all the mistakes you could possibly make and uh, and I guess that kind of gave me a baptism of fire and helped me uh, get started very quickly yeah right so what is it that keeps you going other than having to make money out of it obviously if you started your own company you know yeah, uh, um, there's always that endless search for new clients and new work and repeat work from your existing clients. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess for me, the passion of it is um, getting out into nature and being exposed to especially the ocean. Um, I grew up uh, obsessed with surfing and um, that was my pastime, you know, as soon as I could get down the beach I was there, you know, like school was like waiting for the bell to ring so I could jump in the water and get some waves every day. Um, yeah. And, you know, I was surfing when I was five. My dad put me on a surfboard and that's nice. you know, that's the greatest thing about my childhood that I remember. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, for me, 
my art is very much um being in that zone and being in those in that environment um and now it's sort of like a battle between do i surf the waves or do i shoot the waves kind of thing so yeah. i've <laughs> seen people combine the two <laughs> yeah yeah i do get out in the water i've got i've got a housing for my camera um yep. you probably haven't seen much of my work in that department though because i I tend to surf more than I shoot. So my skill set isn't, <laughs> isn't quite enough. refined as much as what it should be. Yeah, right, right. So in terms of you, your own personal work, let, let's leave the, the commercial stuff to one side for the moment. But in terms of your own personal work, do you approach that in a similar way to your commercial work? In other words, do you set yourself goals and projects or are you more relaxed and more, I, I guess, uh, spontaneous with that sort of thing? So it started out very spontaneous. It was more about just being there and being mm. in the moment. Um, and sometimes I don't even shoot. So I'm now at a level with my aerial shooting that I sort of know when I'm going to get something good and when I'm not going to. And so I don't launch the drone every single time that I'm yeah. there or it's it's more of just getting up early getting out and being there and, and enjoying those moments um and i think that's really important because um if you're just shooting randomly and there's no sort of love behind it and you're not getting that feeling coming through in the photography work then it doesn't it doesn't inspire it doesn't kind of um, for me anyway, personally, I won't edit a shot unless I, I really get a feeling from it. Um, yep. And I think that communication comes through in the art a lot. When you when you put it out there, it's important to have had a connection to your own work in a way that other people will then, uh, it'll it'll sort of transpire through to other people. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I get exactly what you mean there. Um, in terms of trying to communicate something, is there is there a message behind some of your work, or is it more just okay? Here's a here's a really impactful scene, and uh, I'm I'm happy just putting it out like that. Um, there is actually, and uh, so there's a bit of a story behind why I chose to uh, do what I do and communicate my art. Now, it started out like I said, just. Um, very casual and, and very relaxed and, and just being uh, just a reason to get out there and, and uh, be in the moment. But now I've sort of since joining Web3 particularly and, mm. and having a exposure to so many people and connection to so many other photographers like yourself um, in the community and then also just people who love photography and love appreciating photography. Yeah. The people that have reached out to me on my work have been have said um, things that really resonate with me and why I do it. And that is, it's a mental health message, really. Um, I have a lot of issues with my own mental health and anxiety and depression and, um, and things like that. That's a constant battle as I'm sure many of us do. And, um, and so being out there and, and seeing sunrise and seeing a, a, an incredible scene unfold before my eyes, it's better than any therapy session or any medication or anything else I find. And, you know, usually I'll jump in the sea in those moments as well and, and get some, some water therapy. So for me, it started out as just a way to kind of help myself, but then sharing my art with people 
a lot of the stuff that's been collected, uh, people say, you know, your stuff's just really tranquil and and there's so much serenity that comes through in the work. It's really, it's quite peaceful and, and beautiful um, for, you know, their own mindset. And so I really took that and ran with it. I was like, wow, this is, this is more about just me and what I do. This is like sharing this with other people and having a positive impact on the community and the, and the world in general. So I got really excited about that. And I thought if I can contribute in any way to other people having a positive experience in life, then let's do it. And interestingly, when everything ramped up with the NFT space, it was just after COVID had come mm. through. Um, is it actually a much bigger story in that? I don't know if we've got time for, but like... We've got plenty I, of time. <laughs> okay. Well, I can tell you a story about the COVID experience for myself, I guess, it, um, and, and how this all has unfolded. Sure. So um, going back to my creative director role, so... Um, as I said, things weren't really fulfilling me. And so I actually took the leap to to go out on my own. I resigned from my role. Yep. And um, and with my wife's support, she was like, just do it. You know, I, I don't want to see you end up resenting being stuck in a corporate position and 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 being miserable. So she just said, Why don't you do it? And and my brother at the time had started his own aircon business. He's 10 years younger than me. And yeah. he just quit his job and and did it. And I was like, what? what? I, in, there was a barrier for me where I couldn't even imagine doing it because I was yeah, yeah. so afraid of failure and, and um, not being able to support my family. And so with his example and his success and then my wife's full-on support and just saying go for it, I took that leap. Um, two weeks after I resigned, everything was in place. I had a few clients. I had all my gear. I'd invested in myself. I had everything set up. I needed a cinema camera audio kit, multiple tripods, like stabilizers. I I spent a lot of money on myself and I was ready to roll. Two weeks after I resigned, I hadn't even left the position yet, but I'd given my notice and everything was in writing. Mm -hmm. A pandemic was announced. Yep. So that was one of the most terrifying moments in my life because I thought, you know, and clients left me left, right and center at that point, you know, they, yeah, they yeah. couldn't shoot. There was no shooting to be done. There was no, you couldn't be in a studio. Um, so everything came crashing down very fast. And I had to jump on to government assistance at that point, as everyone else sort of did. Yep. Um, and my mental health suffered incredibly. It was sort of like a knock-on domino effect over the next nine months where yeah. I was so determined though, because I'd already set everything in motion. And I was like, I've got to just keep pushing. So I was on Facebook getting jobs, doing Photoshop, um, cutting out images for websites. I was doing everything I possibly can to just bring in any money at all. Um, it wasn't the, you know, shooting in studios and, and doing what I knew how to do, but it was just like, I've got to, I've got to get through this. Um, I didn't know how long it was going to last. Um, it is a long story. So I've cut it a bit shorter in, in that, um, you know, I had a pretty big breakdown Um a year later, as through all of the stress and through all of the um, pressure to succeed, I didn't want to let my family down. Mm. And we had our second, uh, we had a baby at, during that year, had a little girl um, and then got pregnant with another child. And then he was due um, about a year and a half, about two years later. So fast forward to 2020, 2019, I can't remember, but um so 
when before he was born is when I had this big episode. I think everything just came crashing down for me. Um, and so getting out and shooting was really important for my own survival in that time. Um, yeah. It was the only way I could escape all of the pressure and, and just the really negative stuff that was going on in my own mind um, and be able to get some reprieve and get some... Um, distance from from everything um and so yeah that's what uh that's where my art became really important to me mm. and um and then telling that story at first was really difficult because I still felt like I'd failed and, and you know I'd, I'd um I'd really kind of made a bad move by leaving my position that was secure yeah. for my family I put I put my family in a, in a very tight spot basically um but I got through it you know and uh, my art is part of that journey. So, yeah, I guess being able to tell that story now um, through my art is actually really therapeutic as well. No, that's great. I guess coming out the other side of that anxiety and pressure that you'd put yourself under, what sort of techniques other than getting out and about and, and shooting, what sort of techniques were you using to try and uh you know help yourself and get you get yourself through were you sort of setting day by day goals or hour by hour goals or just you know what 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 sort of things were you doing yeah so it's very it was very difficult with the children they kind of they zap so much of your energy and time that I probably wasn't looking after myself as well as I could be um I'm just trying to focus on giving them a really good experience and putting myself second, obviously, as most parents do. And um, but some of the techniques I used, I, I did have a therapist once a week. Uh, so we're very lucky in Australia to have access to a program now. And they they kind of ramped it up during COVID because so many people were struggling. Um, yeah, yeah. Where Medicare, our public health system, will cover a certain amount of the cost of that program. So I was very fortunate to be able to afford, even through the tight financial um, times, to have access to a professional. Um, and she really helped me, like got me through it big time, just with counselling and, and basically getting me out of my own headspace and realising that it's I'm not just the only one going through this and, and yeah. et cetera, et cetera, and giving me some really powerful tools, um, breathing techniques, uh, zooming out from feeling so zoomed in on everything and so tired and 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 um and worried all the time to be able to look out and actually look at my achievements and look at the positives and everything that you know because I'm a fighter like I was fighting really hard to to get through and to get where I am and yeah. I, I know you've seen me in the in the web three space like that was not only really powerful for me but that was another element on top of everything else I was doing um that took a lot of energy to build from the ground up as as it has for everyone yeah definitely. so yeah I'm really proud of um I, I guess uh, uh looking at the positives and looking at getting through um and making it through and having gone through a very tough time but being sort of strong enough to hold it together and for my family and to um and to uh make something of myself even though it was one of the toughest things i've ever been through so yeah i, I guess looking at the positives um relaxation exercise is a big one yeah definitely i get out i get out and mountain bike as often as i can 
um getting in the surf is huge that resets everything after a surf I feel like a million dollars um that's a really powerful one to get out in the ocean for me um and just appreciating my kids and family time getting away from work you know I'm such a workaholic I've found uh that having kids has taught me to just shut down the computer and spend some time with them and 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 put everything else to the back and just jump on the trampoline or go for a little, you know, play in the garden and kick the ball around. And yeah. that's a huge yeah. as well. That, that makes me really grateful. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Nothing better than a bit of play when you're starting to feel that burn from, uh, you know, sitting at the computer or, you know, editing or whatever it is that you've been doing for a long time and you've been putting a lot of work into you know out and just having that break with the with the kids is a a great philip i think in terms of you know i I guess i know i'm not sure how much of this uh you sort of used in in that practice but um i'm gonna redo that question Sorry. No worries. No worries at all. Sounds like you were using some techniques like mindfulness and present moment awareness, you know, I guess to uh, help with that introspection that was going on. How has that changed the way that you've approached your photography? Has that, has that had an influence on the creativity of, of your photography as well? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I think, um, like I said, just when I, I guess it, the, the the best way has been that I've been getting out and doing it as often as I can. And that's what, um, you know, with any art form or any medium, the more you do it, the better you get, the more um, you get to critique your own work and you get to refine what you do. And, um, and I'm always always learning but I think through that time and being able to um to get out as often as I could um I was just able to refine my techniques and I'm at a level now where I feel very confident that I can shoot most things um and get a good composition and come away with something um I know I know when the conditions are right I know when I'm going to basically capture something special um and yeah it's sort of like led to some spontaneity as well I guess in that um I don't know it's it's funny that I I get so bogged down in work and then all of a sudden I'm like right I've got to get out and shoot and then I find that that instinct is right because when I do that I get out and there's there's something magical that that comes out of it which is really nice great do you see collaboration and community building as something important you've talked a little bit about the community and web3 and how that's sort of helped you through uh some of your uh challenges how has that community sort of done that for you how has that you know support network i guess that you've built up in that arena assisted in and how do you see it helping other people as well it's massive grant like it's honestly been the reason I'm still doing what I do, there were so many moments where I could have chucked in the towel, got a f- job in finance that paid 150k plus, yeah. and or gone back to my creative director role and and been on a salary that was you know supporting my family. 
and I thought about it a lot. Like I was on the verge of doing that before I found Web3. And then when I did, I had the likes of Laurie Grace, John Knopf, you know, all these big guns basically saying you'll have value. Like no matter who you are, you have value as an artist and art is valuable. And I was seeing people sell art for decent money and make a living. So that was huge for me. That was when I basically it flipped the script for me because I was I was in a very dark place. I was ready to quit art because I was so sick of being taken advantage of and being told that art has no value, that you have to um, sell your soul to make any money. You have to be a graphic designer or a web designer or you have to do stuff that's very robotic and um, you have to make people money for them to give you money, basically. And I was like, this is BS. I'm or over or this. I want it for free and I'll give you... Yeah in return uh you know some some kind of i guess you i'll know, credit your name yeah shared recognition you know <laughs> which doesn't exist like it's been proven that that doesn't oh, absolutely not. benefit anyone you know your, your exposure can just where does that go yeah, makes, well, makes i can't company, pay the bills with exposure no that makes them lots of money to have free content you know, it's basically it's basically like slavery anyway that's a whole nother topic. <laughs> um, yeah, so the community has been absolutely massive for me in positive mindset and and feeling my own self-esteem has just gradually built up and up and up through exposure to people saying and collecting my work, you know, like and appreciating what I do and saying, yeah, that, I want that and they'll, and I'll pay you for it. And that's huge. That's, you know. I've had a few print sales over over my time grinding on Instagram, but it's, you know, over five years, I think I made $10,000. You know, you put that into return on investment. It's not much. In terms of hours, it's 50 cents, you know, an hour, if that, like not even. Anyway, um, and then also, like you said, just connecting with other people and having a support network and also being able to support others. Like I've, had so much help and assistance. I mentioned John Knopf before that um, the first time I came into Web3 and made a sale, it was a a WETH offer and um, I didn't know what to do. I was like, is this a scam? I'd never heard of WETH before. And I was like, I had to find gas money to accept the offer, which I didn't have because my wallet was empty. (laughs) And, you know, I was very, very new. And um, I was reaching out to everyone. I was like, what do I do here? I don't understand. And they're like, you've got to go to an exchange. You've got to buy ETH and then you've got to wrap it. And then you've got to do all this stuff. And like, and then so I got a DM from John Knopf instantly saying, I'll pay your gas to accept your offer. Like, you've got to do that. And I'd already actually sorted it out, thankfully, before he did that. It was this whirlwind sort of like 10-hour thing that was going on for me to accept this sale, my first ever one. And But just the fact that he DM'd me, total stranger, I knew of him because he was a big name in the space, but he didn't know who the hell I was. Yeah, yeah. I wind of it and just said, I want to help you out, you know, I'll pay you gas. And from that moment on, I realised that this whole space is just about helping each other. And um, from that point, I wanted to do the same. And so I've onboarded people, I've... I've, um, I've offered assistance where I can. I do little video promos for people for very little return. Like it's not about money. It's more about how can I use my skill set to then promote other people's work and get them seen in the space. Um, And as we all do, we want to share others' work and retweet and 
and push everyone's um, art out there as much as possible and get seen. And so it's really nice to be involved in that and to have people do the same for me and, and share my work and, and help me succeed. Um, yeah, it's, it's like, I can't even put it into words just how incredible it's been in terms of the impact on my life. Yeah, fantastic. I want to I want to talk a bit about uh, how you define success in your photography. I think for me, like I said before, having the um, connection to others that um, experience what I experience in my art, uh, being a positive, and sort of being able to de-stress a little bit, um, and just I don't know, it, just have that connection to nature, that beautiful um, in the moment experience when I get a message from someone saying wow that took my breath away and I've I've missed the ocean like particularly when people have had a connection to the ocean and then have had to move inland or to another country or or whatever and they're reminded of an experience through my work um that feels like a real success to me yeah fantastic one of the things that a lot of people struggle with is pricing their work how do you go about it? Is there a formula you use or are you just sort of make it up on the spot? <laughs> um, I mean, I've been in the space now with um, uh, Web3, the NFTs, for a little while. So I kind of have a, I have a bit of a strategy now, whereas like it was really just like they say, you know, fuck around and find out. Yep. Um, <laughs> uh, but like going back to, I guess, prints as well is I just looked at the market and what was out there in my genre. Um, I was lucky enough to be on border to Riptide Prints who they kind of did all the pricing for me and I just uploaded the work and that was sort of my first experience. Um, they kind of are on the very lower end of the scale. So I increase my prices on my website. I'm happy to be with them and, and have that work there and, and whatever comes in through them is great because they do all the marketing and stuff and and that's fine. I, I sort of stay loyal to anyone who's helped me out. So rather than uh, jump off them and, and leave them behind, I, I sort of left my stuff there and then I bumped up my prices on my own website and my own factoring in my marketing and everything like that. But going back to the NFT side of things, um, I've come in and I, as I said, heard very powerful messaging from people in the space, community leaders, and they were saying, you know, this is long-term, you know, don't undervalue yourself kind of thing. Um, and so I just basically looked at my work, looked at what I'd be happy with long-term from those pieces, um, how special they were to me. And and I came in guns blazing, really. I... I um, I listed my best work straight off the bat and I listed it high at prices that uh, even though I was new to the scene um, that I'd be happy with in 10 years. And uh, I've kind of stuck to that format. Um, in saying that, I, along the way, those pieces have sat, a lot of them, like a, a couple sold, but the really high-end ones that are, you know, commanding a very unique collector who's willing to pay that price are still sitting there. And I'm okay with that. Um, I I don't have an issue with the fact that I haven't sold yet because I'm just happy that I've been able to put them on the blockchain as part of my body of work that will sit there. Um, and when they do sell, that'll be a very special moment to celebrate. Whereas if those pieces were just sitting on my hard drive 
waiting and waiting this whole time for me to share them with the world um, in this space through this technology, that would be a, a bit of a, I think, um, you know, that that would be disappointing in itself um, to for anything to happen to me and not have had that work minted. Um, so, yeah, my, my technique has been very much about get my best work out there, price it at a, a point that I'm going to be happy with regardless of time when it when it sells and not look back and think wow i sold that so cheap what was i doing yeah um yeah and i think a lot of people they do want to make sales quickly and so they um you know they they price their work very reasonably which is fine that i have no problem with anyone doing that but i just questioned for myself if i was to go that route and price work cheap in order to gain volume and and you know get collectors and then build up build up gradually which is a good technique it, it's worked for a lot of people they, oh. they you know they've built a um a really good connection with the community through uh for doing that and rewarding their early investors etc cetera, etc cetera. um but i've had i feel like i've had equal success in believing in myself backing myself and pricing my work accordingly yeah yeah fair enough I want to switch, I guess, to where you are in in terms of where you live and how that's influenced. You know, you talked a lot about uh, shooting in the ocean. Do you live close to the ocean? Is it a long way to go? Where you know, where yeah. where where do you go without giving away? You know, the <laughs> the secret spots. You know. I think you know all my spots, Grant. You probably know a few more than me. But, um, yeah, the listeners, we don't want them flocking to the special no, seat. Yeah. <laughs> Very guarded about those locations. No. Um, yeah, so I'm lucky enough to live about 15 minutes from the ocean now. Um, I grew up in Manly on the northern beaches. And yep. very luckily, when during that time in the 80s, um, it was an affordable place to live. And where we live where we lived is now three million dollar you know um house that we were in where we were renting renting out these beautiful places as um as a family growing up right near this beautiful ocean um village you know it was a a tiny little village back then it's now it's now basically a miniature bondi um so yeah, I, I was fortunate to grow up there and be exposed to that culture as a kid, and and I've taken it for granted a lot. You know, I, I moved away uh, out west for a time, um, and I stopped surfing, and I, I got into a whole other culture with um, sort of street life and skateboarding and things like that. Oh, and and doing that, I realised how much I missed it. You know, I started to almost feel a little bit unhealthy, and um, getting back to it was really special for me. It was. It made me realise just how lucky I'd, I'd been to have that in my life. Um, in saying that, we had kids and, like, we moved around all around Sydney, Northern Beaches. I had to stay close to the ocean. I knew that. My partner was very supportive of that. Yep. But she's always longed for the country life a little bit. Um, okay. She grew up She grew up rural um, hinterland of Noosa. And so... Okay. Yeah, she she still has that connection like me to the sea, you know, not too far away from the ocean and the coast, but a bit more uh, country style, you know, the bigger properties and farm life and all that sort of thing. So she's always expressed that desire to me um, to have a little cottage out on a property somewhere. And I was like, how are we going to make this work? You know, I can't be away from the sea. 
and yet she wants to have this connection in her life and so you know partnerships all about um compromise and 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 making sure each of each party is is happy and so we had kids and and um our tiny apartment on the northern beaches became unlivable and so we just took a leap of faith and and we moved down to Mount Kembla which is about an hour and a half out of the city as you know the area probably um yeah yeah yeah, like Kayama way Port Kembla um that's all close by to me now and it's funny because I've I used to drive hours and hours to get down to Jarvis Bay to shoot you know three or four hours and then Wollongong was always on my hit list for surfing. Um, yeah. There's a lot of great places down here that are really, really good waves um, that are not crowded, you know, like um, probably, shouldn't say, probably shouldn't say too much, but uh, <laughs> I'm very fortunate to be down here now because um, I'm in between. I can get to Sydney for work if I need um, yeah. in a day, no problems. It's not a, it's not a hard commute. And I can get to Jarvis Bay to shoot Hyams Beach for sunrise very easily um, without the, you know, 2 a.m. wake-up call that I used to have to do. So I feel like I've found my place. Like I'm in a very, very good place now with where we live. We've got, you know, we we sold our apartment and we traded it in for a family home at the same price as the cost yeah. of Sydney. Yeah. Cost of living down here is is so much uh, more manageable. Yep. And um, it's really helping me with my, like I said before, with all those pressures and stresses and mental health problems that arose being up in Sydney, I think, um, with the traffic and the stresses of affordability. Yeah. Being down here now is is uh, a key part of rebuilding all of that for me and, and getting um, back to a feeling of peace. Yeah, it's a, a much more relaxed lifestyle. I know uh, other friends of ours have, have moved down uh, a little bit further than you. They're down, at, um, down near Shell Harbour. And yep. uh, you know they're um, they're they're loving it. We we go down and spend the weekend with them occasionally because it's you know it's nice for a break from as you say all the traffic and pain yeah. backside that uh, that Sydney can be. Yeah, it's incredible how laid back it is. We were quite yeah. worried that it was going to be uh, too much of a change and that we were going to miss out on city life and we're going to be bored or uh you know not have access to the things that we're used to yeah it's it's like i feel like i'm back in manly 10 years ago or you know yeah, when i was 10 years old it's a real village mentality down here people are very friendly and and um and just way more chilled out no one rushes it, it can be frustrating because you take your car in for a service and it's like they don't call you that day. You're used to Sydney where everything's like, get in, get out. Well, you yeah. get a call three hours later. Yeah. This is the problem. Like you might get a call two days later after chopping your car in. You're like, where's my car? And they're just like, oh, you know, whatever. We'll, like, we'll see it out. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm getting into that mindset and that mentality more and more. And I, I, I'm, I'm quite happy that my kids will be as well. Yeah, yeah. I always ask uh, people what their most memorable experience is. What's yours? Wow, that's a big one. My most memorable experience. Photography. Think comes... yeah. Photography. Okay, photography, yes. Um, seeing with the drone uh, whales for the first time, that was yeah. just mind-blowing. Like I was trembling and shaking from the, the awe of that experience and it's one that will stay with me forever. 
Yeah, fantastic. Uh, I've, I've minted the piece, A Mother's Love, which is that experience. Um, it's a wild story, actually, if you want to hear it. Yeah, go for it. I um, So I was on a motorbike at the time. That was my transport. And um, it was great because I could get the drone. I had my little drone bag that would strap across the chest, compact Mavic uh, 1 Pro. And I would just zoom around the beaches getting shots every every morning before work. It was sort of like my, my daily thing. And uh, or when I was coming home, if you know if it was daylight savings, I could stop in for a sunset at sure. the beaches. Anyway, one morning I was headed to a location to shoot. And then I just got this thing in my head of like I was going north to Avalon and I was pulled up at Motorvale Lights on the motorbike. And I got this thing of like, nah, go to Warriwood today. Like let's we haven't done Warriwood Blowhole. Let's go and check it out. Yep. And so I went down to the beach, I pulled up and just as I pulled in with the bike, it was still, the sun was still coming up. It was below the horizon, but there was just enough light to see the scene. And there was this like giant, just like sea monster in the shoreline, like, yeah, like wow. in from the breakers, you know, it was this, it was, it was a whale, it was a mother whale, southern right. But it was huge. It looks like this giant monster. And my, my brain couldn't really take in what I was seeing. Like I was yeah, scared at yeah. first because I thought it couldn't be real. Like it was kind of like I was seeing a, a horror movie of this giant monster. Cool. <laughs> Sounds really weird because it was this beautiful whale. Um, and so I'm shaking and I'm like getting the drone ready. I'm like, I've got to get this, whatever this is. This is alien thing. And so, you know, trembling, taking it apart, I'm trying to stay calm because, you know, flying a drone is not something you want to do in a panic state. Um, no. <laughs> and uh, so eventually get it launched and I'm, I'm trying to stay calm because I, I don't want this thing to take off and miss it as well. Um, and then anyway, I get up there and it ended up, it was just cruising back and forth in the, in the shallows. It was a Southern right with a calf. And so she'd come in for a, a rest to give a baby a rest, obviously, um, into the Bay of Warrywood, which is quite a, a nice, beautiful, calm beach. And um, they were just swimming under these surfers back and forth for, you know, a good 45 minutes. And I was just getting all these clips and, and video of them and just like, you know, in awe of this moment. Um, and then as I was shooting, I was about to, I was going to have to um, change my battery soon. I just hear this voice land that drone now and i'm like what the hell i look over and there's this guy full ball running at me like sprinting like the terminator yeah. and so i'm like uh-oh what's going on here and um it was sort of like i'm flying a drone but then i'm like this guy's going to attack me you know so i'm in this yeah. kind of this weird moment of like i can't put down the controller and defend myself um, so I had to like kind of talk this guy down and he got really close to me and he said, you know, I learned that drone, you can't fly above whales. And I had no idea about CASA or the rules or any of that stuff. Yeah, I just yeah. bought a drone and started flying it. This was very early days. And so he turned out to be national parks and wildlife and um, very aggressive, really upset with me. And so I had to use my people skills in that moment rather than my fighting skills. And, uh, and, just sort of talk to him and say, oh, yeah, look, sorry, no, I'm very new to droning. Um, I didn't know. Um, absolutely, I'll land right now. Just uh, just give me some space kind of thing. And he was he, he calmed down because I was calm with him. Yeah. Um, gradually, he, he simmered down. And then eventually it got to a point where he was like, 
what whale is it anyway? Can I have a look? <laughs> and, so, and so from then I said, oh, yeah, absolutely. Of course, you know, like gave him the full respect rather than attack back and be defensive. It was like yeah. this moment where I could really uh, turn the situation around. And we actually ended up having a chat and becoming quite, you know, um, not mates, but becoming quite uh, connected in a way. And so... I gave him a look at the controller and he was like, Southern rights, oh, my goodness, wow, they shouldn't be here at this time. And he started rattling off all his knowledge about whales. And yeah, meanwhile, yeah. I'm snapping photos and recording the whole time. <laughs> um, and then he said, yeah, look, you know, he gave me a bit of a rundown on the rules and regulations and, and then he wanted me to send him all the footage. And I said, oh, yeah, of course, yeah, no worries. I thought, there's no way in hell I'm incriminating myself and sending him all my footage. <laughs> so we parted ways and, and that was the end of that. But I had this insane experience where the, yeah, that will definitely stay with me. Fantastic. Forever. What about horror stories? Have you got any of those? Oh, yeah, with the drone, you betcha. Um, I've had a few because I fly out over the ocean several kilometres to find yep. life. Um I've had a few really hairy moments, uh, one being that I was flying several kilometres out and then a storm front blew in out of nowhere. I hadn't, I hadn't really monitored the weather reports that day as well because it was quite calm. Yeah. Um, this front blew in from the south and it took my drone out to sea even further. And then I, even on sport mode, I was flying towards to come back to, to land and it was still going backwards. That's how powerful this this wind gust was, which was really nerve wracking because that was zapping my battery like you wouldn't believe. So, yeah. you know, I should have lost my drone that day. But basically what I did was fly north to get out of the storm and then have to come back inland. Um, at that point, I was so far away that I lost um, connection with the controller. I couldn't it couldn't I couldn't see anything. Yeah. So I knew, I knew where I was just through looking at where I was on the map before losing connection. And so I just, it was still flying, thankfully. It didn't just drop out of the sky, but I had to pilot it back to land. And then um, in my head, I was thinking, okay, as long as I'm over land and I run out of battery, I'll be able to find it with the GPS later. I knew that I'd heard stories about people locating their drone through yeah. the app uh, once they charge, recharge the controller with the last known location kind of thing. So I wasn't completely panicked, but it was very scary. Um, and then weirdly though, I was able to pilot it back. It was kind of dropping in and out of connection. And then I was seeing where it was and I've got it back to where I was. And all I could hear was this like mosquito sound in the distance. And I was like, oh, it's, I know where it's coming. It's coming it's somewhere here. <laughs> um, and so I got the drone back, thankfully, but that was terrifying. I thought it's going, it's going, it's going out to sea, never to be seen again. Uh, um, and basically, I've had a few like that where it's just a similar, similar thing of being out over the ocean, uh, battery uh, draining, and then thinking I'm never going to get it back, and just miraculously somehow making it back to land on time, and saying, I'll never do that again. I'll never do that again. And then, of course, next shoot, I'm out four k's out and chasing my. <laughs> <laughs> I guess talking about it, how do you balance the desire to capture a, a stunning image with the need to respect and minimise your impact on the natural environment? Yeah, it's it's a good question. I think for me personally, I I think that documenting them is really important. So um, 
I tend to push, I do tend to push the barriers a little bit. I know other people are a lot more reserved in, um, in how they approach things, but I do respect the animals that I, you know, that I'm documenting hundred percent and would never get so close that it's going to do any damage or, or, um, trauma. Try not to fly directly above because if something was to fall out of the sky and, and, uh, you know, you don't want to on them. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, while a lot of mine um, do, uh, you know, a lot of my shots do look like they're directly above. It's quite, it's like more of an angle, and yep. um, I just crop in really heavily in post. So I haven't come across any problems with that. But I do get the odd person commenting, and I just sort of let them know my process and educate them on. Um, I love nature. I love animals. I love wildlife. I've never really do anything to harm them where possible. Mm. I think there is a lot of people out there that do silly things and. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Give drone photography a very bad name. And I would hate to ever be one of those people and, and yeah. uh, push the space backwards, if that makes sense. Yeah. It, it's always struck me as, and I'm, it might be because of the way humans view the two different animals, but nobody seems to have a problem with getting close to the water when, uh, you know, uh, doing drone shots of sharks, for example. Mm. But they certainly do for whales. And I get whales have got to come up to the surface and breathe. Yeah. And I think that, um, I but guess I, it's... I, yeah, I'm just not sure why there's such a difference. I guess um, for me, it makes a little bit of sense given their endangered status and that they are a little bit more sensitive in their breeding and things like that. I think sharks are a bit more robust. They're very much a machine that can survive yeah. a lot of, um, you know, overfishing. And there still are some endangered species of sharks, but given the Definitely. chance they bounce, back, they bounce back pretty quickly as soon as things are regulated. I've seen numbers of great whites uh, flourishing in California once they stopped culling and things like that. So from a marine biology point of view, I guess that um, there's a kind of a, a message around whales being a little bit more sensitive they take they only have one to two calves and so each year the numbers are increasing now which is really positive but it's very slow going for them so they're still um they're not listed as endangered but they're still being protected pretty staunchly and, and looked after by um, certain parties which I, I can absolutely respect yeah yeah doing marine animals and that sort of thing it's a bit of a you know, you, you got a bit of an idea about where and when they're going to be, but it's always a bit of bit of chance that you're actually going to see anything. With your other photography, like the wave photography, etc., how much are you using things like creative visualization prior to going out? Are you thinking about what it is that you're trying to capture before you go, or is it more spontaneous and you just go, okay, well the conditions look good, and I'll I'll just go today and off we off we go and catch what we catch yeah so these days given um everything i spoke about with web3 and the confidence it's given me in my art and um and people sort of believing in what i do it's given me it's helped me to take what i do more seriously um mm. it was very much a um i'm going for a surf and then if i capture anything bonus kind of mentality oh, sure. in the beginning and it started out as a bit of fun that way and now that it's art for me and it is um, you know, I'm taking it very seriously this year. I'm approaching galleries, pushing my print sales online, 
Um, I've even started posting very much professionally on LinkedIn as a as a photographer. Um, yep. And so for me now, it is very much calculated in that um, let's let's map out what works and what doesn't, what settings I'm using that I find successful. I'll document keeping track of things more um, and planning, like you said. Yeah, as a creative director, I realise that um, I'm very good at increasing, you know, exposure and uh, sales for companies and brands and I've never done that for myself. I've, I've been terrible yeah. at that for myself. So this year, yeah, a lot of a lot of people struggle to make that flip. I think. Yeah, it's like I, I, it was just more of a like a humility thing, and 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 like, oh, no one's going to really believe in me, and having this yeah. negative mindset in the background all the time of like, well, that's you know, perfect Italiano. Of course, people want to buy their product, but I'm just little old me like what what have I got to sell kind of thing yeah. whereas now I'm like no I'm going to give I'm going to use utilize that skill set over the past 20 years that I've had in my career and I'm going to put it into place for myself so planning storyboarding all those skills that I've used to uh do professional shoots are definitely part of my personal work now yeah okay do you prefer to shoot alone or do you prefer to shoot with other people I definitely prefer to shoot alone. Um, however, I've loved like meeting up with yourself and going for a shoot. Um, Timbo Slice yep. is an absolute legend. Uh, Ty Bowman, I've met. Um, Chris, the balded photographer. There's so yep. many names I can rattle off of of people in the space that I've had the chance to meet up with, mm. and and combining that with the joy of photography at the same time is really special. So. I prefer to be on my own in my own art form, um, but it's also fantastic to have those experiences with others. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit the same. I'm very much the introvert and very much about, you know, just going out and doing what I want to do. But there are times when, yeah, a bit of company's nice and, you know, go and catch up and have a, have a coffee or a, you know, bacon and egg roll afterwards and, yeah, yeah. Enjoy exactly. the morning. Yeah. yeah, it's great. In terms of uh, the time and effort that you're spending in that planning, what does that planning process look like in terms of hours, days, weeks? So it's, you know, it's it's a work in progress at the moment. Um, sure. It's really, it's really like minimum at the moment because I have so much client work to get through. Um, I actually have some Web3 projects that I've taken on, which are massive. Um, yeah, yeah. And that's taking up a lot of my time at the moment. But um, I, I think as time develops, as things go go forward this year, that the time I put into that will just grow and grow. Um, my wife has expressed uh, a want to get involved and, and utilise her communication skills. She's got a BA in comms and she's a teacher. Yep. And very, very, she critiques my descriptions on art and my um, titles and she's very much the wordsmith. Um, so, yeah, I think her and I will sort of develop a bit of a partnership as the kids get a little bit more independent. Um, it's a very much a long-term thing in my mind now. It's like I'm not you know, I talk about this year, but I think really it's the next five years yeah. where I will see the most growth in my own um, art sales and, and uh, you know, exhibitions and, and and we're planning on doing a market stall in Wollongong, for instance. Oh. Um, 
so yeah, I've got a storyboard, I've got a vision board that I have, and I just pin things up that I that will come to mind. I'll note down. I have a lot of like epiphanies at 2 a.m., which is really annoying. <laughs> I wake up with a eureka moment and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll fumble around for a pen and write it down or whatever yeah. um, if I can. So it's on the fly at the moment. It's sort of like I do what I can. Um, but, yeah, I think it's better than never starting and 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 just saying, oh, tomorrow I'm going to start, tomorrow I'm going to start, which I've done for 20 years now. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms of your processing, the post-processing uh, workflows, are you spending a lot of time on uh, honing an image or are you more laissez-faire and, you know, as, as I saw it, that's how it looks? Yeah, I do a lot of post in my work generally, but it's a real mixture. So some days I'll get a shot that I'm so happy with and, um, particularly the aerial top downs of like an abstract texture or um you know like a split screen of the ocean and the land and i might just give it a little bit of um dehaze and and some vibrancy and then that's mm -hmm. it job done it looks amazing and then other days i'll do a, i'll actually do composite work where you know i'll shoot a drone shot and a shot from my steels camera on a tripod and I'll combine those two together. So recently I minted a piece called The Whale's Mouth, yep. uh, part of my Storm Surfer series, and um, that's a composite of the the sky I shot with my steels camera and the drone shot out over the ocean of the surfer standing like really tall up in this perfect barrel going over him. Nice. And um the reason for that was that this insane storm blew over, but I couldn't capture it the way I wanted to with just the drone. Um, you know, when you're shooting, unfortunately, the, the drone doesn't shoot portrait anymore, the Mavic 3. Yeah, right. And so I shot, I shot landscape and it just didn't, it couldn't get the sky in. Yeah. Um, and I found that I was able to capture a way more dramatic shot of the storm using uh my stills camera anyway um yeah. and so that's a technique that i've kind of been using a little bit in my photography where yeah. I'll, I'll use two shots from different cameras and combine them because you can get really creative with like a telephoto um shot of the sky and get really high detail of the you know yeah. the cloud things like that and then you can get this wide angle ocean vista as well to and and it it, it messes with your mind a little bit in the in the final shot and I quite often get people going, is this a single shot? Like, it, this, it looks so unreal. Like, how did you do the? And yeah, that, yeah. for me, is a great feeling of, like, you know, they don't even know if it's a composite. And to me, it's quite obvious. But, like, <laughs> it, that, that feels good to have my art kind of questioned and people look at it and go, yeah. wow. Because, like, I like, that. I like that with AI as well, you know, and it's not photography, but people are getting really creative now with um, creating these unreal landscapes that, that don't exist but like you look at it and you and it tricks your mind a little bit you know i quite like yeah. that to, to play with that a little bit with photography i know it's not for everyone um and that's okay i don't mind if people don't appreciate that side of my art that's okay i totally get photography is a beautiful art form in itself and um i really admire the guys like yourself who take a scene and they just do a little bit of post but they uh, have a really good eye for capturing a scene in, in its entirety with one shot um, I, I do a lot of post <laughs> do you? Oh, there you go 
Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm normally doing, uh, because of the high dynamic range uh, at, at sunrises, I'm yep. usually doing a lot of exposure blending. So, yeah. you know, there's there's luminosity masks and all those sorts of things involved in it. But then once, once I get that, there's quite a bit of dodging, burning, contrast tweaking, you know, yep. toning down the colour, you know, changes that those contrast tweaks create, you know, uh, uh, to, to a point where it's still vibrant, but, you know, it's not unrealistic. And, you know, yeah. it, it, it might sound weird, but I'm, I'm trying to get a shot that looks as close to what I saw. Occasionally yes. I'll, I'll, I'll go a bit out there and, you know, do, do something that's definitely not what I saw. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, it's, it's fun. Right? It's part of the yeah, process. But, but, but that, that's it. The process in itself, I mean, I, I can spend oh, anything up to hour, two hours on, on a single image, that, yeah. you know, single finished image. But that sometimes can take 10 or 12 other images, you know, particularly if I'm doing a, a large pano where I've, um, I've used exposure blends across, say, 12 shots, uh, the, uh, sorry, 12 individual frames, but exposure blend there with, you know, five individual exposures. So, you know, it could be, could be 80 or 90 shots and 80 or 90 exposures in a single image that en yeah. ends up being... Yeah. The result you get with that is fantastic. Like, And you can print them, like... Oh, the, yeah, the detail that you've got is, is absolutely phenomenal. I, and, yeah. and that's why I love it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think, um, yeah, I think every one of us has a different approach to that. And um, and as long as you're having fun and loving it and you're really proud of that final image, it comes through, you know, it, it, it resonates with other people. Absolutely, absolutely. I guess talking about things like AI and that may not be a, a challenge in your eyes, but what do you see as being some of the biggest challenges, uh, you know, as photography uh, is is evolving and digital art is evolving? Um, yeah, it's a good question. Like I've had that moment. I, I was very lucky early on to see the digital revolution as a positive and to really run with it. I did my um, diploma of design back in 2004, and that was when multimedia was just entering the syllabus for um, for design. And so I took that as a, as a core subject, um, and I was exposed to making touchscreens, um, you know, animations, video. It was very early on I, I bought a really... Oh crappy handy cam and how to play with it just for just for the for the um for the college and um so i guess i always had exposure to that luckily whereas there was a lot of people in my field uh who were caught in the you know fear um mentality of what's what is this like how to oh my gosh and they they froze and they just buried their head in the ground and decided to stick with print medium um yeah. till they died and then unfortunately they did they they lost their jobs and um you know it wasn't very it was, well, it was 200 people in the company i was on just wiped out in a week gone um because they weren't able to upskill and and kind evolve. of evolve with yeah. what the company needed which was digital um and so that was that was for me a really positive experience in that i was able to adapt um and so now my mindset is very much like 
as these things come along and they're, they're, they're really, things move fast in this space now. It's crazy. It's, it's, it's overwhelming um, for an old bloke like me getting older. <laughs> it can be overwhelming, but I think as long as you're just um, okay to give it a go and, and jump in and have that sort of growth mindset where you're like, it's not, it's, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to keep having to upskill and learn new things. You, it's not a natural feeling. You want to be cozy and comfy and just stay, in your zone but um as long as you're open to it like with ai particularly i jumped into mid-journey and started having a play and yep. to get an understanding of how it works and and i think as long as you do that with the technologies that come along um it, it, it it's a way to stay relevant and, and to um ensure that you've got the tools there at your uh, to access to be able to create new opportunities for you rather than to be in the crowd that refused to grow and, and get left behind sort of thing. So yeah. I think for me, the challenge is the time it takes to learn. Like I've been saying, I'm going to learn 3d animation for <laughs> five years now. Like I've, I've had, I've done all this basic cinema uh, tutorials on cinema 4d. Yep. I understand how it works. I've got blender on my machine, the free one. I just, I have zero extra time to take on another thing at the moment. Yeah, so yeah. That's the biggest challenge. How do you see the future of landscape photography evolving? And I guess what trends or innovations do you see shaping the field in the next few years? That's a really interesting question. Um, I guess the gear is always going to shape where things move to. You know, the cameras have come such a long way now. It's insane, like, what can be done um, in camera. And you were talking about, you know, things like focus stacking and exposure stacking and yep. and all these sorts of things. Like the cameras now can do so much. Um, so I guess it, I guess what the way I see things evolving is more and more people um, joining the space. You know, it used to be very limited to certain uh, pro photographers um, that would go out and do these big adventures and, and, have backing from big companies and whereas now anyone can go and um and come away with really epic results um so i guess i, I guess i see it growing more um with the accessibility yep um but in saying that i think that there's a real purity to the art of landscape photography in that you know you have to really love it you have to be willing to you know nearly get swept off some rocks or um, yep. Yep. do a five-day hike or, um, you know, these these kind of wild things we all do that love it. Um, yeah. It's not for everyone. Um, no. So there's almost like there's almost an element of it that will always stay the same um, and you, you have to be passionate. That's passion. You have to you have to be passionate about it and uh, and really love it to, to get some of the results that, um, you know, the community are able to get. Absolutely. If you weren't a photographer, what would you be? Mm, I'd probably still be a creative director, directing <laughs> photographers. <laughs> I'd be telling you guys what to do. Um, uh, no, I don't know. To, to be honest, I could have ended up in banking or something crazy um, yeah. because I was at that, like I said, that crossroads where money became a real, real uh, consideration. And so, um, yeah, I could have been could have been i don't know to be honest i don't know at the moment i'm a photographer and i'm loving it and so that's all that's, that matters. <laughs> uh, that's great who else should i be talking to on the podcast 
Oh, um, well, I guess my other brother in the space is Timbo Slice. I don't know if you've had him on. He is, I haven't had him on yet. He's uh, he's in my sights, though. Yeah, he's a legend to talk to. Really, really interesting dude and just humble and down-to-earth dude. Um, I've been lucky enough to meet up with him for shoots, and I would say I consider him a really good friend. He's helped me out a lot. He's actually my biggest collector, which nice. blows my mind. Yeah, he's he's... He's like a whale, you know, he's had so much success that he's out there supporting artists like me uh, just as much as people are supporting him, you know, and he's always looking out to to help people um, that are getting started. Like he's always picking up work from guys that haven't had sales yet and things like that, which is, you know, just testament to, to what a dude he is. Um, and his success is pretty incredible. Like his story will be, I think, an interesting one for you to, to hear. Fantastic. It's just had astronomical rise to to fame from um from hard work and determination thanks for that i've got one more question for you and it's uh the one that everyone wants to know the answer to do you like pineapple on pizza (laughs) no i don't i don't i don't think it should be allowed (laughs) i um I used to have it as a kid. I remember as a teenager, as a skateboarder, I used to go to Pizza Hut after it. We'd, we'd do like a little, um, a regular thing. My mate's older sister was the manager at Pizza Hut in Manly. Oh, yeah. And yeah. So she'd hook us up with uh, all-you-can-eat buffet. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, think, I think we'd all chuck in and she'd charge us for one and like eight of us would get to have all-you-can-eat. And nice. uh, yeah, so... Pineapple, the Hawaiian was a regular, obviously, and uh, up there with barbecue meat lovers. But no, these days I'm I'm actually a bit of a pizza nerd. Um, I've got a little oven at home, and I like to make my own. Yeah. In saying that, I, I got to agree, homemade's best. Yeah, homemade all the way. But I have to say, I had a guest come over for dinner, and they said you better serve me Hawaiian. <laughs> and so I got a bit fancy and did a little bit of a rosemary and thyme caramelized pineapple with a smoked ham wow. and uh, you know that was my compromise I said oh you have you have gourmet Hawaiian I'm not doing I'm not giving you canned pineapple <laughs> uh, fantastic all right well thank you very much for spending some time with us Dave uh I've really enjoyed getting to know your story a little bit more where can people find your work yeah so um my website newlightvisual.com and um i've got my film work there i've got my design work there and my photography but most of all i'm really pushing the nft side of things so there's a link there to all my nfts yep. um on a lot of different marketplaces i won't list now but yeah and if you want to connect twitter at new light visuals is probably the best place to do so fantastic thanks again though thanks grant appreciate it mate Thanks again for listening to Landscape Photography World. I hope you enjoyed the show and keep listening because thanks again for listening to Landscape Photography World. I hope you enjoyed the show and keep listening because I'll be joined by some great guests in upcoming episodes. You can find my work in this podcast at grantswinburnphotography.com. I'm also on Vero, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram and Facebook. I'm Grant Swinburne. Hope to see you out shooting soon. Mm-hmm.